Turn your Bibles to John 18, verses 17, and we'll go from there. We see the second chance given to Peter. Now, Peter, Peter is the one when the rooster crowed, see, Christ had told him, you're going to deny me, even though Peter's like, I'll never deny you. And he said, no, you will. You're going to deny me, and then this rooster's going to crow, and then we're going to meet eyes, and I'm going to be like, I told you so. That, that, that's going to happen. And Peter's like, no. Well, here's where it happened. Verse 17. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now Simon Peter, I jumped to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? It's a very Yoda time period in the way they speak. He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately the rooster crowed. And when that rooster crows, you probably can imagine how Peter feels. Because he was in love with Christ. He was a disciple of Christ. This wasn't just some random thing. This was a big deal. He would have felt devastated in that moment. Like, oh, I cannot believe what I just did. I just ruined every chance, every moment. I just ruined it all in this one. I mean, I was scared. It's probably what he's saying. I was scared. And my life was being threatened. There was like this mob of people and they're, they're looking to do something really bad. And I just, I got super nervous and I was scared and God, I panicked. I mean, what would we have done in that same scenario? Would we have been like, no, no, I totally believe. Or would we have also been a little bit nervous about standing with him. And that all, really, the answer comes back to, have we ever been given a second chance? Do we understand what a second chance looks like? I know for me, I've been given a second chance, probably many more than a second chance. I remember when I was in uh, high school, I was a high school intern working in the youth group. I was about two years in, and I was feeling pretty good about myself, like I'm doing a pretty good job. All the kids like me more than the pastor. You know, it's just those normal things you feel. And a church called me. It was about two hours north from where we were. And they said, we're looking for a youth pastor. We really think you're the guy. And they brought me in, and I, they asked me to speak in front of the, the congregation and say everything that you think, and like what you're going to do, your vision for this church. And I'm feeling really good. And so I'm telling them all these grand visions. And so I'm like pointing around and just, you know, totally into it. And I had put my microphone on and left the wire kind of going out in the front. I guess I felt that confident. I didn't have the Britney Spears mic. I just had the one where you clip and then you put it into your shirt. No? You guys weren't there? All right. So I'm kind of gesturing around and I hit the wire. I knocked the pack and the whole microphone off and fly across the room. And I'm like, oh, and it hits the ground. It's so loud because it's a microphone. So, and I just hear this like gasping from the audience, like, oh, he's an invaluable. He can't, he actually makes mistakes. <laughs> that's what I felt anyway. I felt like that's what was going on. And when I got home, I called the pastor and I just said, you know, I really feel like God telling me not to go yet and do this. You know, you always put it on God. And I just feel a sensing of God telling me that I'm not supposed to go to this church, which is it's bogus. It was just, I felt super, super embarrassed. But I was done. I said, it's this whole pastor thing. That's not for me. I, I enjoy doing the intern and serving and helping, but I'm not going down this path. 
And I seriously moved and went down a different path. I was interviewing for other jobs. And about two years later, had my degree interviewing another church called. And again, I was shocked because I was not, I, I wasn't going to do that. But this other church that called was a mile from where I lived. It was, uh, it was paying double what the other one was paying, which was a big deal for me just out of college. It was a totally different experience in that uh, they were very humbled because of pastors and things that had happened before. I was very humbled, so I didn't come in at the same at all. I'm like, hey, okay, I'll try it. I'll give my, my best. You know, you just, the whole experience was different, and it was a blessing. It changed my life, literally. It changed my life forever because God gave me a second chance. And Peter here is about to experience this second chance as well. And we're finding out what I found out for me. And as I read scripture, the second chance is really good, like almost better than the first chance. When we come back and we experience God's second chance, there's something about it where we just, we, we jump in both feet and it's just awesome. Here's what happens in John 21. Christ comes to him and says, so when they finished breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Three times, which I'm pretty sure is not an accident. I think he's making a point. The rooster had crowed, but God's radical love goes beyond our mistakes, goes beyond our denials, our failures, whatever baggage that we have brought in with us from the past, from the mistakes we've made, from what we feel like, you know, I'm not good enough. Whatever baggage we've brought in, God's radical love of second chances goes beyond that. God's radical love of what he did on the cross, it was enough. I mean, think about if we could go back 2,000 years and talk to the Romans. And when we talk to the Romans, we're like, yeah, you know, someday we're going to have crosses in our rooms. And we're going to have, they're going to be all ornate and beautiful and we're just going to love them. They're going to be like the coolest thing. And they're all crosses? You mean the thing we're like hanging people up on and crucifying them with? Yeah, someday we're going to tattoo our bodies and have them on there and be really proud about it. Which is, that must have just been like, wait, what? And we're going to talk to them and say, yeah, except it's not going to be about anger. It's not going to be about the power of the Roman Empire. Uh, we're going to have these crosses and it's going to represent this one guy you crucified 1500 miles away from the capital. You probably don't even know much about it. It was this guy. He was on the scene for about three years. He traveled a whopping 25 miles in his whole time of, of ministry. I mean, we have people today who've been on the scene 50 years. They travel by jet around the world, you know, our multimedia doesn't hold a candle to what this guy did in that time period. And the, the Romans, if you were to tell them all this and you said, and then around the world, there's going to be massive crosses built 
all representing this one person. There's going to be these monuments built about this love of this one person that you crucified. They, they, they must have been, they, they would be just blown away by how stupid you are, right? Like it doesn't make any sense at all. Like you would tell them at Christmas time, we're going to talk about this Christmas story and it's in your time period, but we're just going to mention the emperor Augustus Caesar. It's a footnote about this Jewish carpenter that you crucified in this time period. And people are going to come back and they're going to visit Rome, but they're not going to talk about the emperors and where they lived and, you know, what they did. They're going to ask questions like, where was the Apostle Paul imprisoned? And they're going to stare at you like, I don't know who the Apostle Paul is. And you're like, no, see, the Apostle Paul was a follower of that guy that you crucified so far away, the Jewish carpenter, the one guy that you crucified. The Apostle Paul was just a follower of him. And there's going to be more written about that guy than there will ever be of all the emperors in all the Roman Empire. And again, they're going to stare at you and you're going to say, you know, there's going to be a building built about this other guy, St. Peter. It's going to be called the Basilica of St. Peter. And this building will be in Rome and it will be bigger than any building that you have. Like you're excited about your Colosseum. One day there's going to be crosses hanging at both entrances of the Colosseum. And those crosses are going to represent the forgiveness and love of Christ, that one guy. And then there's going to be another building built right where the Roman... Nero circuses were going on, which is ironic, but anyway, that's a whole other sermon. But this Basilica of St. Peter is going to be built, and the followers of Peter, who was a, a fisherman, who followed the Jesus, the, the carpenter, he, he didn't have a book, he didn't have any armies, he had no political influence, but the people that followed him will spend a hundred years building this building, this cathedral that seats 60,000 people in honor of him. And they're like, wait, not our emperors, not all the Roman history. Like you don't, you don't know Rome. We're, we're the Roman Empire. Like we get excited about America. Imagine if America was the superpower of the world. And you might think it is, but there's armies that could come against America. There were no armies that could come against Rome. Rome had it all. They had so much power that there was nothing that could take it down in their mind. I mean, it had to come from within. We have American pride. Imagine the Roman pride. And we then go back and tell them, no one's even going to remember your emperors, but they're going to remember this one crucifixion. They have thousands of crucifixions a year. They would laugh in our face. But this same Peter, this same Peter started this movement after the rooster crowed. This same Peter that has this building in the Roman Empire, this building that is incredible today, it came after when he stepped up and took that second chance from God. We're going to celebrate on Friday. It's called Good Friday. And it's a sad part of our history as we remember what Christ had to do for our sin. But as we remember that moment, the reason we call it Good Friday is because in that moment, God said, I'm giving a second chance to the whole world. A second chance to be forgiven of all of your sin. To know me to know me and that I have so much more for you beyond your mistakes, beyond your lack of faith, accept this freedom that I give to you to truly live.
This, this is what we see in the history. This is what we see in God's history of working with people. This, we get so sidetracked with our, our American ideals. We get sidetracked by our career goals. We get sidetracked with our toys. And we even get sidetracked by our family. But the truth is this. All of those things, the rooster will crow on them. They will all fall away. The only thing that has survived year after year and forever is Christ. Christ will reign long after the Roman Empire, long after the American Empire, long after our lives. Do we know this Christ? Do we know this second chance that he gives us, this radical love of Christ? When Peter realized what that was, he took it and he ran with it. Here's what he does in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on and on he goes for several chapters. Basically, Peter gives this first great sermon of the church age. As your daughter church or your sister church, however you're calling it, uh, in Clovis, we are launching a new series when we launch the church. And the series is Acts because we want to talk about how the church age began and how this new church is starting and sort of correlate that and the community that they started. I mean, it was a life-changing community that happened. And so we're going to have a bunch of like community stuff happening as well that goes along with this. But it's all about these men and women who were given a second chance and they grabbed a hold of it and started something that is still going today, this church age. And for the sake of time, this, this sermon that he gives, you'll see at the very end, thousands upon thousands of, of people come to know Christ for the first time at the end of this message, at the end of this man taking that second chance and saying, okay, God, I will run with it. And when he runs with it, changing the world with it. And it should, it should have never made it out of the first century. When you really think about what was going on in this time period, it shouldn't have made it out of that first century. There's something called the Jewish Wars. This is 25 years after uh, Christ is crucified. And in the Jewish Wars, it's about a four to six year war. The Jews sort of rise up and they, they get really mad that Rome is there. And so they rise up, they build an army, and they push out the Romans from about two or three cities. Well, Vespian, he's not even the emperor yet, but he gets so angry about it that he gets the 10th legion, which is a huge army, grabs a couple other legions and says, we are going to end this once and for all. And they go down there and they surround Jerusalem and they start crucifying hundreds and hundreds of Jews around the city just to show them, just to scare them into submission. But they won't submit. So they said, all right. And so they take the entire army in there and completely annihilate the city. They, they expel any Jew that's left out for, they're like, you guys go. You're not even allowed here. You can't live here. You're done. They expel all the Jews out of Jerusalem. And then they go to the temple and they destroy the temple. Like it still hasn't been rebuilt. It was in that moment. It was August 670 AD destroyed. 
and never rebuilt. So here's why that's so important. I mean, it, it changed Judaism. Everything about Judaism, you can go through the history books, you'll see a, a dramatic change from that point on. That's, it's August 6, 70 AD. Look at the difference before and after. Before, they talked about the Lamb of God. This is, this is the Lamb of God that you would have, to- we all kind of recognized it. They would have totally recognized it. It was a Jewish tradition. The Lamb of God, though, was part of the Judaism before, not after. So you, you lose the Lamb of God teaching. You lose the Mo- Mosaic Law. All the Mosaic Law, everyone knew it. Even non-Jewish people knew it. But it's lost right there. You have the temple. The temple is where God dwelt. And so when these guys start being you know, on fire for Christ, they're taking their second chance, and they start talking about this God, you need to know this God, people should have asked, wait, the Jewish God? Is that the one I'm supposed to, the Jewish God that dwells in the temple? The temple that the Romans completely destroyed? All of the context for Jesus' teaching had been destroyed. It shouldn't have survived beyond this. The only explanation would be the miracle of God himself. And then you talk about crucifixions. There's a thousand crucifixions a year. Why would this one crucifixion be that big a deal? Yeah, he rose from the dead. You know, that seems like a big deal. But still, that's, there's so many that it's just weird that it would make it out of this century. But it did. Why? Because of the miracle of who God is and the second chances that he's offering to us. The radical love was so different that the people couldn't even imagine what he was saying. It was blowing their mind with every word he said. He said this in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, that you would love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That doesn't seem new, but there was the Ten Commandments. Then there was about 150 to 600 commandments that sort of solidified the Ten Commandments. This commandment in the Greek, it's actually this word for new is be unusual or, or weird or different. What's the actual word? Strange. Strange. It was a strange commandment. What was a strange commandment? The one where you said you're supposed to love one another even as I have loved you. Everyone would be like, wait, what? Because all they knew was conditional love. Go look at all of history before this time period. Just look at what love looks like. It was conditional. Look at Greek literature. Look at Roman literature. Start to study and see that this unusual love that Christ showed would have been so strange you love them because I loved you first. You love them unconditionally. I don't, I don't even get it. Well, what do you mean? It would have blown their minds. It was a radical love that says, hey, every single person has value. Why? Because I created them. I created them unique. I created them with purpose. I've given them spiritual gifts. I have a purpose for why they're here. And they would say, everyone? No, just the important people. And he'd be like, no, 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 you're missing it. It's a new, it's strange, but it's a new commandment I give you. This is one of the reasons why as a church, when we planted, we had some of this in mind in our language. Our core values are passionate people. It's our passion is to pray and worship God daily and share the gift of Jesus Christ that he offers to the whole world. This gift that was new and strange and different and unconditional. People of purpose. Our purpose is to share our story and the God-given gifts and talents. 
to serve others and become leaders for Christ. People don't realize they have gifts and talents and gifts and spiritual gifts to give people. Purposeful place. Our place is open to anyone and everyone because what we have in common in the Lord is far greater than the things that separate. This was a new commandment. And we are on mission to reach that San Joaquin Valley for Christ just as you are on mission to reach this area for Christ. And when we do, when we show this unconditional love, what will happen? Verse 35, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me say that again. We don't think of it as new. We're not overwhelmed by it because we've seen it before. But this would be so groundbreaking. that Let me say it one more time. Just as God has forgiven us and given us a second chance, we also need to be doing that to others and giving others a second chance. Why? Because then all men will know that you are his disciples. Why will they know that? If we have this radical love that he taught us to have. Paul would come along later with Peter. This is the same Peter that was given a second chance and took it. And they write an epistle together. And they write in this epistle something that, that would absolutely blow everyone's mind again. Probably will blow all your minds as well. They wrote this. Men, you are to love your wives. Groundbreaking. We're supposed to love our wives? We don't think of that as all that amazing. Because there's something about Christianity and the culture the principles of who Christ is, whether you believe him or not, you hate the church, it doesn't really matter because the principles have infiltrated all aspects of our society. As bad as you may think it is, we have some very spiritual things happening that has defined our culture. For example, go to some other cultures that don't allow Christ, don't allow the Bible, don't allow God. How do they treat their wives? It's interesting to see the difference in just the penetration that's happening of Christianity being in the air. But this time period, you traded your wives like cattle. It was property. You could, you would use this as a, a, a way to keep her in check. I don't know how you want to say this because it's so bad, but it was just, it was so different. And so what Paul and Peter come along and they say, as we begin to live out this value of who our Savior is, who this God is, uh, wives are not our property. Wives, just like everyone, belong to God. They are creations of God, and we need to value them like God values them. And guess what? He values them like they're the creations in which he created. In this moment in history, women were elevated to a new level that they had never experienced before. And it still hasn't hit all cultures. But as Christians have taken this and say yes to it, this is exactly a new truth, and it's supposed to be the way it is. This, this radical love of Christ says we are equal and we are loved by the same Savior, the same God, and we need to treat each other that same way. It was radical. Paul takes it a step further. He writes to Colossia Church and says, which is a very important area, uh, the trade routes running through this area were huge. And the reason that's important is he says to them, guys, masters, you need to treat your slaves with respect. This would wreck their culture that they were in in that time period. It would wreck it because they were like, wait, what do you mean by that? 
Well, masters, your master, your savior is the same master and savior of those that he's entrusted you with. The same God. Their God is your God. They're created just like you're created. So you may have someone that works for you and you may use them in a capacity that makes sense, but you better not treat them the way that you're treating them anymore because they're also created by God. And we look at it and say, why would he, he should have just said slavery is wrong. He shouldn't do it. But you don't understand the culture to say that. Exactly. Of course it's wrong. But he's getting across a whole new commandment, a whole new radical love that would blow their minds. And yeah, it's infiltrated our society. It's even taken us a while. And again, you can look at different cultures and see that it doesn't hit everywhere. But the truth is, these are the things of this new radical love that he was sharing. We pass over really quick the verse in which Jesus, the guys are like shooing the children away from Jesus. And Jesus says, stop, let the children come. That verse, everyone that was standing around Jesus in that moment would have been like, wait, what? No, no, that doesn't make sense. Because saviors or uh, messiahs are for really important people. Only important people should be getting close to him. And he says, no, children, these children are the most important in my kingdom. You know that feeling you get when you see other cultures around the world treating kids a certain way that is just just uh, inhumane? That is not a normal feeling inside of you. That's a feeling that has come because you've experienced this radical love of Christ. Whether you believe or not, whether you're there in that moment in your life, the radical love of Christ has come so far into you that you know that's wrong. You know that this is a created being. We forget that it's created by God, and that's why we should be so overwhelmed when someone treats someone with disrespect. We forget that it's because they're a creation of God. That's the reason. But whether we believe or anything like that, it's still something inside of us that has been changed by this radical love that Christ gives us. Some of you are on this journey, and you've experienced a second chance from God. You've experienced it and you know it. You've grabbed a hold of it. And I want to encourage you to move forward with that. The second chance when Peter took it, he began to run for God and do life-changing things. Some of you have taken the second chance, turned your life around and changed, and now you're running for God. Others of you, you've taken the second chance, but you're still trying to find that place, that unique purpose. You know you've been given a gift of God and you're trying to use it, continue down that path. God absolutely uses us in ways beyond our imagination, beyond what we believe he can do, but he does it. Others of you, you need this second chance from God. You've come in today with a lot of baggage, a lot of history, a lot of stuff, and you need to take a moment and say, I lay it at the feet of Christ." on the cross. I lay it before him and God, I'm asking for that second chance to change and move forward with you. And if that's you, I want to pray with you. I'm not going to pull you up front. I'm not going to do anything weird. I just want to pray with you. So if everyone will bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in this room and you need to take that second chance, again, not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. I want you to put your hand up and say, that's me. I need this second chance that God offers 
this radical love that he gives me, no matter what I've brought to the room. Will you lift up your hand and say, that's me. I want this. Let's quickly lift it up. Amen. Amen. God, I thank you for the second chance you gave me. And Lord, I will run and give you my best because you have given me so much and blessed us in so many ways. And Lord, I pray for those in this room as well that you have gone the distance for us, offered every opportunity to know you and to run for you. Lord, I pray that we would do the same, that we would take every opportunity to know you and to spend time with you and to give you our best in every way. God, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for what this this Sunday means. In Jesus' name, amen.